Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The face of our adversary is described by the Lord Jesus Christ in John 10.10 when he said, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And then he said, I am come. They might have life. They might have it more abundantly. The face of the thief is the face of Laban. The face that expresses a desire to steal, to kill, to destroy. That's the first part of verse 5 here. I see your father's face, your father's countenance that is not toward me. Then there's the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is a face that expresses a desire to be present with us, a face that expresses a desire to give us life, a face to, to give us a life that's out of the ordinary. And that is an expression of a desire to give us the life of God. So when Jacob looked in the face of Laban, Jacob saw in Laban what the face of Satan expresses, which is death. And when Jacob looked at the face of Jehovah Jesus, the God of his father, Jacob saw the opposite. The Bible speaks of the face of the Lord Jesus. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, the same God of creation who spoke into the darkness. I mean, there was just darkness, and he spoke as a, with a penetrating voice into darkness when he said in Genesis 1-3, let there be light, and there was light. He speaks into the darkness of our hearts, and he says, let there be light, and there was light. What light? A light of the glory of God seen in the face of Jesus Christ. See, the light of God seen in the face of Jesus Christ. The light is Jesus Christ is God. That's the light. The greatest light in the Bible is in the first part of the first chapter of John, which says, which starts off, this is the greatest light. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. That's it. The Word was God. That, and then... You travel down through that, that chapter, John 1, and you come to this astounding point in verse 14 that this word who was God and who made everything, this word became flesh in John 1.14. The word who was God was made flesh. Jesus Christ is God who was made flesh. That's the greatest light in the Bible. I have a, an Israeli friend, and I gave my friend a Bible and, you know, he, he did what I did. He got this big book. He says, where am I supposed to start? You know, it's like 2,000 pages. You know, where do I start? And I told him, I said, start in the book of John. And so it was weeks ago. I haven't talked to him for a long time. And I called him last night. I called my friend. 
And, and uh, I forgot that I gave him the Bible. I forgot all about it. And he said to me, he says, you know, I started to read like you said in the first chapter of John. He said, and I found that there are two parts in that chapter. The first part talks about creation, and the second part starts with, the, with John the Baptist. That's the greatest light that the Bible reveals, that Jehovah Jesus is the creator and that he became a man. And he was made flesh, and, the, and, and so he could become the Lamb of God, which is the end of the chapter, who takes away the sin of the world. That's it. What is seen in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ is what Jacob said, but the God of my father hath been with me. In order for God to have been with Jacob, God had to come to Jacob. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ spoke about so much, about his coming into the world for one purpose, is that he can give life. See, to replace death with life. He came to replace death with life. He came to replace the, our lost state with our found state. He came to replace our condemnation with our salvation. He came to replace our judgment with forgiveness. And this we kept saying over and over again. He kept talking about why he came. He said, John 3, 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. John 6, 33, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. John 6, 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I'll give for the life of the world. John 12, 47, I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Matthew 20, 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. And 1 Timothy 1.15, this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So now what we also see in verse 5 here is that Jacob was making this explanation to his wife, and he starts out by, by just the words, precious words. He's, he's just simple words. He said unto them. He said unto them. You know, we're impressed with that. We read that, that Jacob said to his wife, we're impressed at how Jacob just opened up his heart in the time of his deepest distress. And you can't exactly say, I mean, you know, Laban was against him. You can't exactly say in all cases that his wives weren't against him also. But he opens his heart and he tells them how disturbed, how troubled he was with the image of his father's face constantly in his view. Can't get it out. And he told them about the secret meeting that he had with God in his dream and what an encouragement it was to him. See, this is the greatest instruction that Jacob could have given to his wives in this case. Jacob, you know, he wasn't sitting down with his wives and giving them a lesson on theology. You know, he wasn't sitting down and saying, well, you know, I want to go over with you catechism. You know, he was, <laughs> he was telling them about a real life experience of how he was in great trouble and how God helped him. Now, people don't care about our theology. People don't care about our church statement of faith and what our catechism of beliefs are. People want to know how God has helped us in our life experiences. People want to know what difference God has made in our lives. I'll never forget a Jewish man who said to me that one time, says, what difference has God made in your life? 
See, this last week, this Hasidic Kabad rabbi spent the night at my house. Boy, that was something. <laughs> you know, I love the Jews. I mean, you know, because even in their unbelief, I love the Jews in their unbelief. Why? Because when they're so unbelieving and they're so argumentative, argumentative and fighting, it's a blessing. I can't explain to you why it's a blessing. It's a blessing because God steps in and says, well, here's the answer to that question, and, and here's the truth to that falsehood. So the whole thing's a blessing. But anyway, we talked till 2 in the morning, and when I tried to show him verses in the New Testament, you know, he, did, he put his hands over his ears, shook his head, <laughs> turned his face away, and said, idolatry, idolatry. <laughs> and then he'd show me passages in the Bible in the Old Testament of how the idolater should be stoned to death. Doesn't he wonder why I put two locks on my door at night when I went to sleep? I made sure he wasn't around any rocks. Uh, so that's the way it went. But when I told him my story, when I told him my story about how I got into the deepest trouble through sin and how I wanted to destroy my life and how by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as my God and Savior and turned my life around and he gave me life, he listened with all ears. He never said, stopped me. In fact, he said, so that was it? He said, so that was it? You just had one experience in life? And I said, no, that was my first experience with the Lord Jesus Christ. Since then, life has been one experience after another with the Lord Jesus Christ, one after another. People want to know how God has helped you in your deep trouble. That's what we see Jacob doing here with his wives. He's telling them about how God helped him in the deepest time of trouble in his life. You can't give a better instruction or a leading uh, to the Savior than to tell people what he's done for you. But when Jacob describes God to his wife, he doesn't just call him God or the creator. He calls him something interesting. What does he call him? Yeah, he says, the God of my father. That's interesting. He calls him the God of my father. Why? Because that's how Jacob saw God. See here, he says, in Genesis 31, 5, it says, the God of my father has been with me. In Genesis 31, 42, same chapter down to verse 42, he says, except the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the God of the fear of Isaac, had been with me, he's speaking to Laban, surely thou had sent me now empty, away empty. God has seen my affliction, labor in my hands. And Genesis 32, 9, when he's really in deep trouble, and he calls on God. It says in Genesis 32.9, Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, which said to me, return to thy country and to thy kindred, I'll deal well with thee. And then at the end of his life, in Genesis 48.15, when he's going through his blessings, and he gets to Joseph, and he blessed Joseph and said, God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all my life long unto this day. See, it's interesting how Jacob put the experiences of his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac, their experiences with God before he put his own experience that he had with God. See, Jacob saw God first as the God of his father, Isaac and Abraham. Then he saw God as the God who, who fed him all the day long. When Jacob called God the God of his father, Jacob was thinking of the history of God and his father and how God had helped his father. It's very interesting. It's very interesting how Jacob put the history of God with his fathers before his own personal history. 
when he said in Genesis 48, 15, God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac did walk, the God which fed me all the day uh, long unto this day. See, that shows us that when Jacob thought of God, he thought of what God had done for his grandfather and his father. Jacob thought of their experiences with God before he thought of his own experiences with God. It shows us that we should think of the experience of others in the Bible, the experience that they had with God as recorded in the Bible before we think of our own personal experiences with God. We should be identifying ourselves with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and David and thinking of their experiences of God before we think of our own experiences, personal experiences with God. See, it shows us how when we read the Bible history, we should see ourselves in their shoes. We should see ourselves as Abraham when God saved his wife from being taken by Pharaoh. And then we should say, my God is the God of Abraham. We should see ourselves as Isaac in Isaac's shoes when God saved him from the Philistines. And then say, my God's the God of Isaac. And we should see ourselves as Jacob right now and how God kept Laban from hurting him. And then we say, my God's the God of Jacob. See, that's an essential link. There's an essential link here that Jacob saw between his God and the God of his father. Jacob clearly saw that link that his God was the God of his father. That link that Jacob clearly saw that his God was the same as the God of his father is important for us to clearly see. Do we clearly see, the question, do we clearly see, as Jacob did, that link between our God and the God of the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we clearly see, as Jacob saw, that link that our God is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Moses? Do we clearly see, as Jacob did, that link that our God is the God of the Old Testament? By calling God the God of my father, Jacob was emphasizing that his God was the same as the God of his father. To clearly see, as Jacob did, the link between our God and the God of the Old Testament is why I emphasize the word Jehovah Jesus. But when Jacob called God the God of his father, that was a great commendation back to Isaac. It was. How wonderful for Isaac to know, as he does now at least, that with all of his problems, all the problems that Isaac had in his life, and he had a lot, that Isaac still was successful in instructing his son Jacob as to who God was. So much so that now, after Jacob has been away for Isaac for decades, he hasn't seen him or heard from Jacob encounters God and says, oh yes, this is the God of my father. See, fathers, isn't it great to have children, children call God the God of my father? I mean, when a child does that, what Jacob does and calls the God, the God of my father, that child is saying, oh yes, dad taught me about God by showing me in his life how God was his God. I didn't learn about God because dad didn't teach me about some cold, sterile God. Dad didn't teach me about religion. Dad didn't teach me about a denomination. Dad taught me by his life, his life where I saw his reliance on God. That was my father's God. I know God is because I saw in my dad's life how God was my father's God. When Jacob called God the God of his father, Jacob was saying that by what he saw when he was growing up, that he was sure that God was his father's God. That's a real test. 
It's a real test there of how God is a person's God is to ask his child, ask his child the following question. Just ask a child, say, how is God your father's God? How is God your father, your dad's God? What did you specifically see? What have you specifically seen when you were growing up that convinced you that God was your father's God? When you were growing up, what did you specifically observe? What did you specifically see of your father worshiping God? So that you would say by what you saw when your father worshiped God that you're sure that God was your father's God. What is it? When you were growing up, what did you specifically see of your father relying on God? So that you would say now that by what you saw when you were growing up, that when your father relied on God, that you're sure that God was your father's God. When you were growing up, what did you specifically see of your father trusting God for help? So that you, you would say that by what I saw when my father was in trouble and trusted God, I'm sure that God was my father's God. See, by what Jacob saw when he was growing up, Jacob was convinced that God was his father's God. Now, we come now, verse 6, Jacob is really pouring his heart out to his wives, and he appeals to them. And he says to them, you know that with all my power, I served your father? See, Jacob says to his wife, you know that with all my power, I've served your father. He was appealing to what they saw. He says, you saw He's saying to his wives, Rachel and Leah, you saw how I spent all those cold nights all night long out there with Laban's animals, caring for them, your father's animals, so that they wouldn't die from exposure or predators. You know, I didn't just, you know, punch out at, at five and say, well, I hope you're all still here when I come back tomorrow morning. His wife, he's saying to his wife, says, you saw how I was burned to a crisp out there in that hot desert days, watching over your father's animals so they wouldn't die from thirst? You know, caring for animals in the field, that's a hard job. It's hard work. Hard enough to care, care for them when they're in pens. But, you know. And so he, he said, I poured all the strength into caring for your father's animals in, in the service of your father. And, and we could just picture uh, Jacob's presentation now to Laban's daughters. And in verse 5, Jacob tells Laban's daughters that, that their father's against them, against him. And in verse 6, he tells Laban's daughters that he served their father with all his power, and now in verse 7, Jacob says, And your father hath deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God suffered him not to hurt me. Oh, he's come out with a very serious accusation now. <laughs> you know? And so notice how in each of these verses, Jacob keeps saying, Your father, your father, your father. And when he gets to verse 7, he lays it out and he says, Your father hath deceived me. He's playing a risky game here. Jacob's playing a very risky game with all this your father talk. This is very risky. Why? potentially very dangerous for Jacob. You know, his wives might say, wait a second, you're talking about my dad? We're not going to let you talk about my father that way. Uh, you know, but, but they don't stop. They don't stop Jacob as he tells them that their father's a cheat and he's misled them. He's lied to him. He's used deception and they don't stop him. Well, that's good. Good for Leah and Rachel. Because what we see them doing here is that when it came to choosing between their father and their husband, Rachel and Leah chose their husband. And just if it ever came to choose between parents and wife, the husband was to choose his wife, as it says in Genesis 2.24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. There shall be one flesh. That doesn't always happen. But here it did. So when Rachel and Leah had to choose between their father and their husband, Rachel and Leah stood by their man. 
And when Jacob says that Laban changed his wages 10 times, we sit up and say, what? I don't remember. What? what? And we learned something. We learned something. We didn't know this until he said this. Up until now, we didn't know that Laban changed the rules of the game in the middle of the game, but that's what he did. See, when we read what Jacob said here, we say, first of all, we say, what? What? What do you mean? Oh, we understand. Well, what happened, Jacob? Okay. Please explain. How did Laban change the wages 10 times? And Jacob says, okay, I'll explain in verse 8. And he said, in verse 8, if he said thus, the speckled shall be thy wages, then all the cattle bear speckled. If he said thus, the ring streak shall be thy, thy hire, then bear all the cattle ring streak. So, ring streak. so you see, during these six years, since the lambing and kidding time is twice per year, there were 12 birthings. And so Laban had agreed at the beginning, all the nigh and white sheep, that's yours. All the non-black goats, that's yours, Jacob's. So those were the rules of the game at the beginning of the game, the beginning of the six years. But from what Jacob has said here, Laban changed the rules. He changed the games. He looked at each, what happened here is that Laban must have looked at each birthing, and after each birthing, he changed the rules for the next birthing. So Jacob looked at the kids and the lambs that were born, and if there were no speckled, then Jacob said, okay, new rules, new rules, new game rules here. Only the speckled, the new speckled animal will be your wages. And if Laban comes the next birthing, he sees there weren't any striped animals. He says, okay, new rules, new game rules here. Only the new striped animals will be your wages. He must have done this 10 times. Oh, man. So this is what he did. At each birthing, he looked at the new animals, and he reset the rules to be only those new animals that weren't present in the last birthing. You know, Laban kept God really busy. What a worn God out, <laughs> changing all these animals around. But, and that's what belonged to Jacob, the next birthing. That's a dirty trick. That's a really dirty trick that he's done here. And Jacob describes it in verse 7 here. Your father hath deceived me and changed my wages 10 times. But Jacob trusted God, and he watched God undertake for him to not allow Laban to hurt Jacob. And Jacob described how God protected him from, from Laban changing, changing the rules, changing his wages 10 times, uh, 10 out of the 12 times. And when he said in verse 8, he described it. What a wonderful statement that Jacob made in verse 7 when he said, God suffered him not to hurt me. See, Laban's intention was to hurt Jacob, and Jacob was helpless to keep Laban from hurting him. And there's only one reason that Laban did not hurt Jacob, and that's the end of verse 7. God suffered him not to hurt me. You know, we've got enemies in life. They want to hurt us. And the only reason they don't hurt us is because God suffers them not to hurt us. You know, Pharaoh and his army, they came after the Jewish people in chariots. They, the Jewish people didn't have chariots. But Pharaoh and his army had chariots at the Red Sea, and his intention was to hurt them, to kill them. And the only reason that they were not hurt is because God took the wheels off. <laughs> he took the wheels off the chariots while they were going real fast so that the chariot frames rammed into the ground. And that's what it says in Exodus 14, 24. It says, And it came to pass that in the morning watch the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians and took off their chariot wheels. 
I would have loved to have seen that. <laughs> As one turns to the other and says, you know, didn't you put that lug nut on there good? <laughs> says, yeah, you call me a lug. Anyway, so, you know, the chariot wheels came off, and he says, so that they drave them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, they didn't turn to each other and say, did you put the lug nuts on? They, they said, let us free from the, flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. They looked at their wheels and they said, this is not by chance. God's taken the wheels off of these. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher on the Friendship with God radio program, has created the Friendship with God Study Bible. It's a King James study and reference Bible with over 2,200 total pages. Over 30,000 inline column references, custom color maps, and over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. It's printed on Finland thin paper printing technology and covered in a black lambskin leather cover with gold lettering. To order your Friendship with God study and reference Bible, go to our homepage on friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org.